Hello and welcome to a Reverend Testimony brought to you by Netroots Radio, the political podcast by Inform Millennial and Gen Xer types from a left-wing perspective. It is Saturday, August 11th, 2018. I'm Travis. I'm Rachel. It is a one-year anniversary of the Charlottesville Nazi clan tiki torch debacle mm-hmm. that... If you recall, we were sort of covering live uh, last year as we were watching events unfold on TV. Uh, now, I guess there's not much happening during the day now, and they're expecting more stuff at night, from what I understand. But we're going to jump right into that. And I'm real fucking mad. Rachel is real effing mad, um, mostly at NPR. No, I'm mad at everything. But right now, I'm real fucking mad. If you follow our Twitter timeline, or really my Twitter timeline at all, you can see I've been really, really frustrated with NPR, the way they've covered this presidency, the way they've covered events in the world, and lately the way they are covering hate groups and uh, racism is really just sort of jaw-droppingly, what's the word for it? Um, Incredulous? I mean, okay. I have been an NPR listener for my whole adult life. Um, and I think a defender of them against you at times. We've had spats where I'm, you know, well, 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 you know, trying to trying to defend them because I considered them such a reputable news source and I value public radio and public airspace and um done done with that done with that there used to be a time a brief time but there was a brief and glorious time where it was largely considered unsavory um and unethical for journalists to talk about race um in a way that was both sides so it fell out of favor for reputable news organizations to have Nazis and KKK members and white supremacists on their air to air their ideas in a way of saying, well, racism is really a a two-sided coin. Racism is something that we can debate. Oh, yeah. Can can we give a little historical context to this? Like, going back to the civil rights movement and, you know, the riots in, in... Alabama, mm-hmm. the the national news, the media and the radio everywhere, not just in the South, would, would try to cover this by saying uh, police and protesters clashed. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, after a while, racists were just covered as racists. And, right. And, and it wasn't given the both sides treatment. And now we're back For to the both sides For about 30 years, treatment. we yeah. decided that it's really not an issue of both sides, that the KKK and Nazis want to um, eliminate and destroy people of color and Jews and gay people, and that we really shouldn't give them any space to talk on airwaves because it... What it does is it gives them credibility. It lends credibility to their ideas and it gives them space to talk and it allows for them to be given space. And so we didn't do that for a long time. Not really a long time, but 30, 40 years. And this week, the week that marks the anniversary of the Charlottesville Nazi rally, um, NPR 
decided that it would be a really good idea to have Jason fucking Kessler on to talk about his ideas about race and his Unite the Right 2 rally that's going to happen today and tomorrow. That's going to be really violent and people will probably die because that's what Nazis do. And NPR decided it would be a really good idea to have him come on and do a seven-minute interview where he gets to just spout bullshit and junk science and talk about how IQ testing and Charles Murray and all of the rest of it. They allowed him to come on the air and aired him on Morning Edition, which is one of the most listened-to programs on NPR for seven fucking minutes to spout his racist bullshit. And I'm done. I'm so fucking mad. And like the interviewer, she pushed back. You know, she, 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 she did. She pushed back. There's like little segments that she cuts out from the interview and says this is racist and like whatever. But that's not the fucking point. You don't have Jason fucking Kessler on NPR. You don't do that. Why don't invite David Duke? Let's just, I mean, what the fuck are they doing over there? And... The most incendiary part of it is that right after their interview with Jason Kessler, they interview this guy from Black Lives Matter who's doing a counter protest mm. and they give him half the time that Jason Kessler got. And it's literally like, these are the two sides of the coin. Here's a fucking Nazi and here's a person who doesn't want to be destroyed by Nazis. Both sides. I can't. I. I'm so mad. You're not the only one. NPR has taken a lot of heat from this. And whether they do anything about it, whether they take the New York Times route and just get very uppity and defensive, or I imagine they will issue some sort of apology, but I, it, it doesn't matter. Did they matter. ask any of the black people that work there about this? Did anyone say maybe this isn't a good idea? I don't know how many people of color are on the board and highest levels of decision makers. In the editorial board of NPR? I, I think I, mean, I actually read recently where that's really lacking at NPR, like everywhere else. Um, so I don't know. Um, but black people work there and are reporters. Did anyone think to go to one of them and say, hey, you know, we're thinking of interviewing Jason Kessler, a well, fucking Nazi who... No, maybe don't do that. Well, clearly they, they didn't. And, you know, <laughs> I, I mean, it's like... We're just failing. We're sliding backwards so fucking fast. And it's so irritating. I, we were talking at dinner last night about Dan Savage used to say when they'd have like the Brian Browns and the, you know, just awful, hateful, bigot homophobes come on the air and talk sure. about marriage equality or LGBT or issues in general. He would Anita say, Bryant, yeah, yeah, yeah. He would say, you know, we don't do that about race anymore because we realize that there aren't two sides to the coin. We should stop doing that. We should stop giving homophobes airspace. Mm -hmm. And that made a lot of sense. And then I listened to this interview and I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> like, what are we doing? I just. Yeah. Why have we, why have we gone back and undid that that precedence that made a lot of sense like I, i'm young enough to remember when david duke uh and granted he was he did win the republican nomination to run for i think it was governor of louisiana in 1988 84 88 something like that um 
would have him on. And then afterwards, a lot of places would have him on for a few years. Mm-hmm. And then and then they just kind of realized, okay, that's there's really no good reason to have him on. And right, then, we're lending our journalistic credibility to Nazis. Well, then Pat, Buch- I mean, Pat Buchanan, Buchanan, who was a presidential nominee and mm-hmm. just considered sort of a standard conservative started to ride that line yep. in the late 2000s and then MSNBC cut him off and said no you, you're kind of going over the line now and just being a white supremacist so we're not going to have you on the air anymore and and nobody picked him up Fox didn't pick him up or you know right. n- nobody wanted it. so even Fox News like this is <laughs> it's just it's so telling of the times that we're living in if you had told me two years ago that we would be having this conversation right now I would have told you that you're fucking crazy yeah that there's a rally celebrating the rally that happened last year of Nazis and of Heather Heyer being murdered and that's the other thing NPR did this fucking headline right a talking car about kills Heather Heyer. Uh, talking about the anniversary of Charlottesville, and they're like, a, when a car killed a woman at a white supremacist rally, you're like, the fucking car didn't kill her. A goddamn Nazi killed her. A person drove a car through a crowd of people, injuring many and killing a woman because he hates us so much. Yeah. That's what happened. A car didn't do it. A fucking Nazi did. Yeah, I'm. I'm still trying to understand. Like, I as misguided as it was, I get why they thought interviewing Jason Kessler was a was a thing they could do, right? Um, but why that headline? What? What? what That's you, the worst use of the passive voice I've ever heard in my entire life. Well, do they think they were being fair, or, or like, I don't know what? Why? Why can't they were trying you, to be balanced? They just don't want to. It's uncomfortable. And the thing that white people hate the most is feeling uncomfortable. And so they stretch and they do gymnastics and they do yoga and, and all the things to make themselves not have to say a Nazi killed a woman at a rally last year and there's another one happening now. Well, let's, let's, let's try to unpack this. Like, do you think and the NPR board got together and looked at numbers and said we're, we're losing too many older white listeners and maybe we have to be more sympath. We have to put I don't racist in a more sympathetic light. I mean, I, I hate to be that cynical. I don't think so, but I have no idea. For the two things to be so just offensive and and complicit. Yeah. And we're not talking about Fox News. We're talking about NP fucking R. Like, right. It's NPR. And we'll get to Fox News and Laura Ingraham a little later. <clears throat> this is NPR. This is supposed to be just report the facts. This is supposed to be journalism. And for them to do this is so upsetting. And I don't forgive them for maybe it's newsworthy because there's another rally. Great. Report on the rally. Right? Do that. Report on there are white supremacists and Nazis that are going to storm the Capitol to celebrate the death of a woman and violence from a Nazi rally last year because racists feel emboldened Mm -hmm. now. That's the story. Not giving Jason Kessler fucking seven minutes on Morning Edition to talk about how black people have the lowest IQ scientifically speaking. 
that's complicit in white supremacy, if at the least. It's not journalism. It's not. Because it's not journalism to have someone come on and say bad, false things. And yeah, she pushed back and she said, well, I mean, that's not really what science says. And he's like, well, cite a study. And she's like, pretty much any other buddy but him. And then they just move on. That's not journalism. That's allowing a Nazi to come invade your airwaves and spread that around. It's awful. Yeah. And, and it would do it would be one thing if they sort of did a special piece where they sent somebody like, you know, Vice did to right. interview people like that. And, right. But this is morning edition. This is like this is your little news bites for the for the day. Right. And they spent seven minutes of their hour. And it's legitimizing. It is. It's lending credibility and legitimizing white supremacy and Nazis. And then presenting it as the both sides thing. And then directly after, literally the same story, interviewing the guy from Black Lives Matter and and giving him half the time. Which in retrospect, I wonder if they regret taking part of, they just should have said no. If you're going to interview Jason, they probably didn't know. Yeah, that's, that's probably likely. They probably had no idea. Yeah. Like, oh, we just have to interview for the, for this thing because it's the anniversary of Charlottesville. I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't know what the reaction from Black Lives Matter has been. I know the reaction from the public is just like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, are you fucking kidding and me? And I remember get, hearing a piece of it and just thinking, why the hell are they interviewing Jason Kessler? Well, you told me kinda, about it on my way to work yesterday. Yeah. And I lost it. And then I, I was so mad. Yeah, I didn't hear the whole thing. And then I listened to it because I kind of couldn't believe that that could be true and it is and I like we've gone so far back we just if NPR is normalizing Nazis in 2018 I don't know I don't know where we go from here well we're not and uh we're you will hear zero nazis on our program and we're they will not be given our airspace and we have people on the ground in charlottesville and i'll just leave it at that um and in dc i -hmm. think and uh yeah we're not gonna take it lying down so no uh the media can normalize it all they want and try to present the both sides thing and this is another thing that kills me about npr right because they got they were all over the trump comments saying very fine people on both sides. Um, you know, they, 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 they really hammered it and covered it to death, as they should have. And now they're turning around and doing the same thing, kind of. And they feel like, I think their perspective would be, God, I don't even know. Like, we wanted to expose him for how racist he is, right? We wanted to bring him on and then expose him for be- it's like we already know that that's what he is yeah, we already know yeah. that he's a racist and and it gave him a platform which is really upsetting too because for maybe possible legal consequences he's got to say on NPR and she clarified multiple times that he didn't want any neo nazis coming to the rally that this wasn't about white supremacy and it wasn't about white nationalism it was about free speech <laughs> and and how free speech is under attack. And she said to him, how is free speech under attack? You're going to go march on the Capitol with a permit from the National Park Service. And he said, well, it's not legally under attack, but like it's not uh, allowable in the 
community discourse for white people to organize the same way that other people organize. And NPR is saying, okay, well, you have a point, so now we're, <laughs> we're going to let you, basically. Right. Yeah. I mean, he got to make that argument on the public airwave so that if this thing becomes what I think, and I'm afraid it might become, <clears throat> he gets to go back to this interview and say, see, I said no neo-Nazis were allowed, and it's not about white supremacy, and that's not what I was doing. So it's a legal argument potentially against him being charged with hate crimes. Yeah, that's the and cover. That, and that that's, yeah. That's the cover. And um, I'm looking at it right now, it just makes me want to throw up. Yeah, yeah, here, here we go. I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, the Charlottesville police force itself is pretty corrupt and inept. So I don't know how they're going to handle it. What we fear is that if things get out of hand, they're just going to start clubbing everybody, everybody in sight. Um, well, that's the thing that we're most concerned about for the folks who are uh, protesting Nazis is two things. One, violence from the Nazis. But two, and a very serious concern is violence from the state. Mm-hmm. And... And of course, you know, loss of liberty and jail and all kinds of things. Um, But those are two things that are really concerning because as we've seen in Portland and Berkeley and other places, um, the state, the police seem to be much more focused on the counter protesters than on the Nazis. And Mm -hmm. people say, well, that's because they have a permit and the other ones don't. And like, fuck off. We were watching live stream video from Portland and the police, the state were forced, like directed all of their attention to the counter protesters, to the people that were protesting Nazis. That's where they had their shields aimed. That's where they had their head aimed. That's where their obvious focus was not on Nazis, on people who don't like Nazis, which should be everyone. Other than Nazis, including the police, which is, we know, not true. Mm -hmm. So we're not just worried about clashing between the two groups. We're also worried about police response to the people who don't like Nazis. And that's something that we have to worry about. And that also puts us in a different place. Right? Like... That that's a sentence and that's a thing we have to worry about is really troubling. Yeah. Yeah, keep your eye on it. And not just in Charlottesville, they're also in D.C. Yeah. Uh, which I, I guess the, the only positive of that is that maybe they're all not in one place. So maybe it'll be small groups in each place. Um, but they're going to come out and they they don't protest peacefully. They always claim like we're here to protest peacefully. They're mm-hmm. not. They're there to start shit mm-hmm. and to uh ign- to provoke <clears throat> our side into reacting so then they can play the victim. Yeah. Uh and then get the president to say things like both sides something something. Right. Um which I'm, he's trying not to say anything Trump. Uh, he he had a very he, milk milk toast tweet this morning well, that, he, that oh. someone else tweeted from his Twitter right, some yeah. things. Yesterday well, and today, and, and peace to all, and I oppose racism and and racial things. Yeah, um, right. Somebody else did that for him so that he didn't say nothing. Yeah, because he's out golfing. He doesn't. Yeah, he's not literally tweeting right. Now. He's no. literally out golfing. Yeah. Um, but I know you all might be having some like 
compassion fatigue and like trauma fatigue and like I get it but there's Nazis in the streets protesting like marching and people are gonna get hurt and it matters that that's happening And, you know, again, we forget, people forget. And I I saw a meme on Twitter the other day. Uh, I think it was by one of these progressive types, probably not as plugged in as most people, that said the right, the the left calls all the right-wingers Nazis, and the left calls all the, the right calls all the left-wingers, all right, the right calls all the left-wingers communists, Mm -hmm. and the left calls all the right-wingers Nazis, and don't you know this is... This is the the disunity, and it's like, wait, hold on, hold on. There are there are literal Nazis marching in the streets. Right. I don't know the last time that you. Yes, you'll see some Antifa types like waving a communist flag here and there. If that terrifies you, okay, because you know you can equate it with Stalin and Mao, I guess. But like at its core, a communist flag is not a a racial terror symbol. They don't want to kill anybody. It, it is, they don't want to wipe out groups yeah. of people. They don't want to murder people. They don't want people to not exist. Right. I'm sure it is a symbol of terror for... And let's be clear that the Antifa is not a group or organization. This is not a thing. And the, the press covers it so fucking terribly. Yeah. Antifa just means anti-fascists, which should be every single one of you. Every single human being who's not a Nazi is part of Antifa, which is everybody who's not a Nazi. Mm-hmm. That's not saying you are are required to dress in black and... And protest in the streets against Nazis are not a group. They're not a secret group of people that... They're just people who don't like Nazis. That's it. There's no Antifa. They're not an organization. That's not a thing. And the way that the media is covering it is though there's Nazis and there's Antifa. Antifa just means anti-fascist. And Mm -hmm. some people choose to wear a mask to cover their face. And the reason they do that is for, it's really like fivefold. But primarily it's because cops, there's a lot of Nazis that are also part of law enforcement. Oh yes. We've discovered that after Charlottesville. They get outed all the time. And so it's dangerous for people who want to protest against these people to have their identities known to the state. And so they want to cover their faces because they do not want to have their identities known to the state because then they will be targeted and pulled over and jailed for things unrelated to their right to protest. This is not paranoia. This is the truth. Yeah. And so the reason they cover their faces is not because they want to be scary boogeymen, but because they want to protect their lives outside of being against Nazis and being willing to go on the front lines in the streets. Yes, exactly. Additionally, when they get pepper sprayed and maced and all kinds of things happen when you go on the front lines... It's an added layer of protection. Yeah. So the black thing over your face is not like, I want to be scary. It's literal just self-protection. It's about not allowing the state to know that you're against maybe somebody who's on the force who sees you that day. And then maybe they see you again or they look you up or they, there's a picture of you and then they look you up and then they figure out what car you drive and then they pull you over and they plant some, you know, Coke on you. And then you go to jail for 10 years. Like this stuff happens. Yeah. So, Let's talk about how uh, uh, elected Republicans and right-wing media, and sometimes even left-wing media, when they're stupid, 
uh, use the the uh, Antifa boogeyman yeah. as as a cover to say both both sides something both sides. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Republicans and right wing media does it so they can they can dog whistle and wink to white supremacists to try to get them to vote Republican. Right. Um, and and that's not and covered they do and realized it to, enough. They do it to you know your soccer mom in suburbia to say you know, there's dangerous people out there that were wearing masks. Yeah, sure. And, Maybe you don't like Nazis, but the, Nazis, but the other but people, the other are, people are, are just as crazy. scary. Yeah. Right. And then they like hearken back to the seventies with like, you know, what they called eco-terrorists mm-hmm. or like, you know, that whole thing, like, which they're not terrorists. They're fucking vandals, but that's a d- different conversation. Yeah. Um, destroying property is not the same thing as killing people. Clear <laughs> no. On that? no, it's not. But- <laughs> Defacing property is even less than destroying property. But anyway, property is property and it doesn't fucking matter. Um, Certainly not to the state. It does to the state, though. It's eco-terrorists. They they blew up a a thing. No one was hurt. A piece of property was destroyed because it was, you know, destroyed thousands of lives. Anyway, they hearken back to those times when we used to talk about like Greenpeace as a terrorist organization and like, you know, that kind of thing. But they do. And, and, and I think it works. I think it works for a lot of people that they, they see the people protesting with the masks and the, it's not nonviolent, right? I mean, it's, we hope it's peaceful, but Okay, well, here, when you're yeah. gonna, it, it, when you, there's been a few pieces to this end. the The idea of a peaceful Nazi protest is it's not possible. Yeah, it's not. A thing. It, it, it by its nature, it's not that. Right. It it is a it is a protest of of hateful people trying to push forward an ideology of race cleansing and murder. Murder and, and genocide. And, and it just so happens that since those people are violent psychopaths, they're not going to, quote, march peacefully for murder and mayhem. <laughs> they're, they're going to... What they're, right, because their, their agenda violently. is violence. Their agenda is genocide. So there's no such thing as a white supremacist peaceful, peaceful protest. protest. That doesn't make any sense. And so when you It's like meet, a peaceful war. right. A nonviolent war. Right. That's not a thing. And neither is a nonviolent Nazi march. It just it's, isn't. It's like, it's like if we invaded Canada and said, we, we are going to occupy your country peacefully. It's yes. not, not a thing. What that means is you better take it lying down. <laughs> yeah. And our side and isn't won't. going to do that. And so that scares people. But the alternative is what? We take it lying down. And we won't. And in case you forgot, that's what happened in Germany. Right. Well, so then and then the media wants to say, okay, well, if you're not going to allow the death, murder, racist cult to march through your streets, quote, peacefully for them, what they mean is peacefully for them, mm-hmm. then you are Without just Without causing a fuss. Then you're just as bad and you're just as culpable for any any violence that occurs and NPR basically yesterday said, yeah, 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 that seems right. That seems okay. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. So that's why we're really pissed at NPR. I'm not going to listen to Morning Edition until, uh-uh. unless and until a complete mea culpa. Yep. Um, it, we used to donate. I used to donate. I Me know too. that. I'm no longer donating. No. Um, and 
I hope other people take this this step too. Now, moving on from NPR, again, and you're going to get this. The media is going to do a shit job of covering whatever happens in Charlottesville this weekend. I guarantee you. Whatever that. unite the right look, to looks like. We hope that bad. it's it's a bunch of nothing. <clears throat> yes. Maybe some by some miracle between law enforcement and and something else, it'll just be the tiki torch guys saying horrible things and going home and nobody gets hurt. We doubt that's what's going to happen, but if it does fine, um, it's not fine, but no, great. But that's the I best. That's the best outcome in a nobody bad situation. Gets hurt. I hope nobody gets hurt. And I hope, well, I hope nobody, I hope no non Nazis get hurt. Right. Sure. Let me, let me put it them. that way. Yeah. I hope anybody who's out there protesting, um, Nazis get neither hurt nor jailed. Yeah. Nor killed. Yes. Um, I don't really care what happens to the Nazis in, in terms of that. I can assure you most of them won't get arrested, though. Yeah, well, that we had to work very hard to get the perpetrators of the violence in Charlottesville last year get arrested. We yeah. had to out people. Yeah. We had to send video. We had to raise a huge stink when local law enforcement tried to actually charge the people of color getting beaten by the Nazis with mm-hmm. crimes like that stuff we had to do. Yep. And and sometimes when I say we, I mean literally like people we know and yeah. people we're involved with. People we know and love. Yeah. So, like, if you think that the media is going to cover it fairly and that the justice system is going to take care of it, <laughs> they won't. So we all have to be vigilant here because while, the, while NPR and perhaps the ultimate mechanism of law enforcement doesn't think they're on the side of the white supremacists. They are. They are. Everybody is who isn't, right? So that's how whiteness works. That's how white supremacy works. And I'm not talking about Nazi white supremacy. I'm talking about everyday life. Yeah. It's stacked for white people. It's made for white people. White men in particular, and there's going to be a whole lot of them on the street with a legal permit talking about how the rest of us shouldn't exist. Mm -hmm. And that implicit bias that law enforcement and the justice system and capitalism and everything else has skewed toward white people in particular and white men specifically just means that (laughs) the system's not going to help us. Well, let's talk about the politics of this for a minute, right? Because that's not covered enough and that's not unpacked enough. What you have, the, the, this rally is called Unite the Right. Unite the Right to. Okay, but yep. the whole thing is, is in the right wing, yes. right? Yes. Right wing conservatism, republicanism. Mm-hmm. And by itself at face value without digging deeper, that's not fair, right? But here's the problem. The president and Republicans in Congress and Fox News and Breitbart and everybody else should say, fuck these guys, how dare they claim the right, claim our space and try to say they're part of us or have anything to do with us. And a few do. A few pinpricks here and there where they do that or they do it for a fleeting second. But what they are more likely to do, what they do most of the time is yell about Antifa. Yes. And yell about both sides and other side. So they're so. What they're saying <laughs> is, yeah, yeah. They don't need 
to be defensive, but they get defensive. And they're def- instead of getting defensive and saying, we're not them, we're not them, we're not them, which they sort of do, they, they, they throw all these straw men out there and say, well, look at, all the, look at the other side. Mm-hmm. And, and Marge on Twitter, Marge the conservative, MAGA Marge, does the same shit. Mm-hmm. I see it all the time. I spend way too much Can time on Twitter. Can you imagine if Nazis tried to have a rally called Unite the Left? Well, that's what I'm going to say. We would lose our minds. Let, let's say I'm, I, I can't find an analog, but, but let's say there was... Let's some- say that... No, but hold on. If the right felt the same way that we did, they would feel co-opted by Nazis saying unite the right. In, if they were the same as us and they didn't like Nazis, right? If, if Nazis tried to unite the left and have a Nazi rally, we would lose our fucking minds and say, no, you're not co-opting the left and we're not part of you and we fucking hate you and we're going to come out and we're going to protest and all Democrats would be like, fuck that, no, oh my God, that's not us. Sure, fuck, fuck, sure. Fuck, and, fuck, fuck. And it's like the kind and of thing And they are not that... doing that. No. They no. don't feel co-opted. They feel like that's their base. That's the problem, right? And and we get shit for, for aligning them and, and what we're saying is, no, you're doing it. We're pointing it out. We wish you wouldn't. Um, get wh- mad. Be like, don't co-opt the right. I'm a conservative. I'm a decent person. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. Loved everybody. How, and so, how dare how you dare try you? to occupy my space and identify with me? How right. dare you? How dare you? But you they be, don't. No. But if you don't believe me, go on Twitter. Go on Twitter and see. And and a lot of them are just avoiding this. But but lots of MAGA marges out there are chiming in when people like us are screaming, "Fuck these Nazis in Charlottesville." Their usual response is, "What about Antifa?" Right. And it's like Antifa's not a thing. It's just everyone who's not a Nazi. Why are you not Antifa, Marge? Do you like Nazis? Because that's what you're doing right now is you're defending Nazis, which and means that was, you are one, which means that if you're not anti-fascist, that's what that means. Remember, and, anti-fascist. And this is, I don't like fascists. This is why we get frustrated, right? Because then the conversation, we would say that to Marge, and Marge would turn around and say, well, both sides are causing shenanigans. Violence. And then she can now f- po- fucking point to NPR. Yeah. And Look, then where do we go NPR, from there? Right. This is why I'm so fucking mad. She can say, actually, I tuned into Morning Edition. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like both sides are up to no good. Yep. And it's like, she's right. That's how NPR presented it. Yep. And also, by the way, NPR said that black people have the lowest IQ of all the races. Yeah. My, my niece always yells at me for only listening to Fox News and said I should listen to NPR. Well, the other day I did, and this is what I heard. Yep. Thanks, guys. Thanks, NPR. You're just making it that much harder to combat this. Yes. But combat, we will. And if we sound super pissed off and unhinged, we are a little bit today. We are, really, really fucking pissed off and unhinged. And you should be too on this day. Because there's a segment of America that has decided, okay, well, I guess Nazis march in the streets now. And Mm -hmm. the president says there's fine people on both sides when Nazis and non-Nazis clash. And he's still president today. And I guess, oh, well, I got to go take the kids to soccer practice and life goes on. I don't want to think about it, but we can't. We, we, we can't let it go. And we won't let it go. No. And you shouldn't either. There's fucking Nazis marching in the streets. Lots of them. With no masks and no hoods. They used to have to wear hoods, right? Same reason That's we right. wear masks today. That's right. They used to have to wear hoods. They were persona non grata. We can't be identified. We, we can't, we That's can't where know who we that, are. Right. They can't know who we are because we're at greater risk 
Yeah, we'll be shunned in our community. We will be, and and like that happens when we do the work of outing them on social media and letting their bosses know, hey, did you know your vice president of operations is a fucking Nazi? And then they get fired. But like, but they feel we, fine they walking have, with yes. no fucking no white hoods anymore. That's right. They just walk with fucking tiki torches, and, and that's what they do. We wear masks because we're afraid of law enforcement. They don't. That's right. And, and they're and not. And again, this goes back to my point that if. The Republicans in office and the right-wing media said, fuck no, how dare you align with us? We are not Nazis. We have nothing to do with you. They would not feel emboldened that way. They right. wouldn't because they'd be rejected by everybody. Yeah. But, but they're not. They're not. Rejected by the people that are the most powerful in the country that control everything. They control everything and they're not saying anything other than, well, we're not racist. That's it. Well, but you, you allow Nazis to say that they're part of your ideological group. Well, there's both sides. Tacitly. What about those Antifa though? But now, but now directly. Like, why are you, I want, I want a reporter to ask a Republican why they are not anti-fascist. That's what I would like. I would like reporters to go to Republican senators and say, you keep talking about Antifa. Antifa is actually not a group. It just means anti-fascist. It means people that are anti-fascist. Are you anti-fascist? Well, most that's re- what I would like somebody to ask. Most reporters, A, don't know that. B, are just... So they're bad at their jobs. Yes. How do I know more about it than they do? <laughs> if you're going to cover fucking fascists and Nazis and protests and counter-protests, maybe figure out that there's not like some secret group that meets and decides to wear masks and go fuck with Nazis. And it's even- just people who don't like Nazis. It's literally just individuals who don't like Nazis... And are willing to put their bodies and lives on the line to tell Nazis that they're not allowed to be Nazis in public. That's all it is. And even MSNBC gets it wrong, too. <laughs> yes. They get it wrong, too, all the time. And, and uh, I don't know if Maddo still does this, but in the early days, she kind of covered it like that, that it's some, you know, it's not. secret group. It's not. Or, I promise yeah. you it's not. But anyway. It's just people. So... Uh, we're gonna we're gonna take this on through till we get to the break and talk more about it. Uh, but let's talk about we we talk about the tacit approval, the winking and dog whistling. But now there's some open stuff in politics and media too. Let's talk about Laura Ingraham. Yep. Yeah. So the other day, Laura Ingraham had this piece on her on her Nazi show on Fox News, the you know the Heil Trump Hour or whatever it's called, mm-hmm. um, and. She basically said it, it would the cover the 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 piece was called Dem- demographic change in America or something like that. I don't know. And she basically said massive demographic change is being foisted upon us, and most of us most of us didn't want it, and most of us are scared or whatever the fuck she said. Right. And it, it was it was not even dog whistling; it was just whistling. Mm-hmm. It was just basically saying the the country's becoming more brown, and that's bad, and us white people should be scared. She got called to the carpet for it immediately. Mm-hmm. I, I think a, a call even came upstairs from the Murdochs and was like, okay, that's, you know, we, we, we do the dog whistling here, but you can't. You can't you know. actually just be like, we hate brown people. Yeah, that's yeah. bad. That, that's, then that's, we look like real bad. Yeah, that's bad for you us. You can't have cover then. Right. Um, and she tried, so she, the next day she, I think it was Wednesday or Thursday, she sort of tried to walk it back yesterday, but not really. No. Like, so yeah, she's like, oh, you know, we see in our cities this demographic change that's like really upsetting for a lot of us. And then they, people were like, that's fucking racist. And then she was like, 
I wasn't talking about black people. I was just talking about immigration. Okay, so you're talking about brown people. So you're talking about brown people. Well, no, I'm not talking about race. No, I'm not talking about race or ethnicity. I'm just talking (laughs) about immigration. Oh. What is that? I don't know what that means. When you're talking about a demographic shift, we were talking about this at dinner. Like, young, here's the demographics. Young people, old people, brown people, black people, women, men, gender non-binary folks, LGBT folks, Christians, Jews, Muslims, which demographic shift is making you so upset? Let me give a little history lesson here. Because going back in American history, 100, 200 years, the xenophobia used to be a little colorblind. The, our, our, well, hold on. Okay. The, 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 the dominant populations in the major American cities were of... Anglo-Saxon, German, and British descent. Yes. And, and a bunch of Polish people hold and on. Italians. Hold on, hold on. Right? That's what I'm getting to. Yeah. Then there was a mass migration in the 19th century of Italians. Irish. Irish. Polish. Polish, Jews, mm-hmm. and Eastern Europeans. And, of course, there were Chinese and some other folks, and they really got it bad. But uh, they were hated and reviled every bit as much. They were not considered and ca- white. And Catholics. Okay, so there's this great book called The History of White People uh-huh. that discusses how Irish people were not considered white. They were Irish. <laughs> the whitest Polish people, people on Earth. were not considered white. Yeah. Italian people were not considered white because they were immigrants. Yeah. Because race is bullshit and like our definition of who is white is ever changing. I know, it's so stupid. But that's true. And so... Right. So, like, immigrants back then <clears throat> faced much of the same xenophobia that immigrants now do. They are just from different countries than they were before. Right. Um, there were signs and doors that were like, no Irish. Yes. You know? No Irish, no, no dogs, Irish, no, no Jews. No dogs, no yeah. Jews. Yeah. 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 And and we look back on that part of history, and at least for me growing up, is pretty shameful and pretty gross. Yeah. And pretty nonsensical. Yeah. And now Laura Ingram basically says, no, we had it right. We had it right. Yeah. We have to preserve. People from other places are other. They're not us. I wonder where her ancestors came from. Ingram's uh, probably German. Mm. But like, you know, and and for some places, the Germans weren't very (laughs) fond looked upon. Can we just remember for a minute that all of us are immigrants unless you're indigenous and you're on stolen land? All of us are on stolen land right now. Can we just remember that for a minute? Yep. That's very easy to forget. And most people don't even think about that, but yes, Yes, we are all all on stolen land. We stole it from the people who were indigenous to this part of the world. And then we had a genocide and now we are putting them in jail for trying to protect the little bits that we left them. Because that's what we do. Um, yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is our happy news hour, <laughs> where Rachel's not at all angry about everything. Well, look, you have you have Steve King, who's an out and out and out white supremacist, who's serving in the U.S. Congress and is still used for fundraisers. Um, you have Laura Ingraham. You have eight, eight. Is it up to eight, nine? Avowed white supremacists running, running for a Republican for some office. Kind of office. Now they will all lose in all likelihood, but that's kind of not the point. Right. They got their party's nominations. Yep. Um, the Republican Party's nominations. And Republic instead of 
for the most part, again, like the Nazi thing, instead of saying this is horrible, this is disgusting, how dare these people call themselves Republicans, it's repugnant, which a couple of them do, most of them just ignore it. Yep. Just don't say anything. Right. Or or turn around and say, well, you have a socialist running in Brooklyn. Right. So, like, um, again, this is what we're up against here. We're up against the right-wing media, the mainstream media, fucking NPR now, and everybody else trying to normalize the fact that out-and-out Nazis with the hoods off their head are marching in the streets. And running for office. And running for office. And if we don't step up to the plate and stand up to it and say, fuck no, literally nobody else will. Literally, that's it. Yeah. So be Antifa, please. Well, you are. Be (laughs) anti-fascist, please. I'm going to assume most of our listeners are anti-fascist and so, anti-racist and anti-nazi so i would you, hope so you are so that doesn't mean you have to go out black clad or buy the little patch or the stickers or any of that stuff but but start unringing that fucking bell yes. start talking about how antifa is anti-fascist and when your mom is like oh they're so scary just tell them no those are my friends they just don't like Nazis. So they went and they wanted to make the Nazis not feel like it was okay to protest or to march in the streets. They yeah. wanted to go protest Nazis. You know, a lot of our parents have parents and grandparents who fought in World War II. Remind them of that. Remind them that their ancestors, their parents and grandparents literally fought in a war against Nazis. So those guys on the ground, they're just following the legacy of your parents, parents, and grandparents. All they're doing is saying, you know, people in my family fought and died to prevent Nazis from being able to take over the world. Yeah. My friends are just on the street trying to tell Nazis you're not welcome here. Well, it goes back to race, too, if you want to go to World War II. It's not like Charles Lindbergh and Henry Ford were put in internment camps for being Nazi sympathizers, but Japanese citizens yep. trying to do, live their Lid lives just were. just literally live. Anyway, so uh, on that note, uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we got a bunch of stuff to read. Uh, Rachel's going to get very hot and bothered about some sexist things, mm-hmm. as will I, including uh, Ben Shapiro trying to debate uh, Ocasio-Cortez for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to talk about that. Yep, so don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. back to Reverend Testimony. So we're going to switch gears a little bit. A uh, kind of a, I don't want to, got such an overused term, but a polarizing new figure in the political scene is, <laughs> uh, what's her first name? Alexandria. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who of course won her 
She won a surprise primary victory over uh, Crowley in a district in Brooklyn. It's a very safe district. And she's sort of being heralded as the media and right and left as the new face of the Democratic Party and the championship of socialism. And she, I love her. And she I has used her. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not universal. Some of the old guard don't like her and mm-hmm. some people like... I love her. Uh, Kegra did an interesting long piece on her that he just... He's kind of like, whatever, I'm sure she'll win and she's fine, but all this talk about her being this big outsider, a new face, really she just kind of came from the same New York Democratic mechanism as... Wow, um, nice hot take, old white guy. Yeah. Sorry, but no. Um, Well, he was referring to some article, but... Oh, not his take. No, no, no. Okay. But that it was, you know, despite that her being framed as this outsider who's going to over, change the party it's like now she kind of came from the same you know pipeline as other new york democrats which i don't give a fuck i don't but okay. anyway anyway Any there, there's been to shit on her yeah there, there's been there's some from the left think she's a threat and she shouldn't say the, the s word out loud because that scares white people socialism and then the the right is saying she's a you know she wants to she's a communist put us all who in wants gulags to, yeah. and mm-hmm. So in, in the reality, she's just a, a really young newcomer who won a primary. <laughs> but well, she, she's using her newfound fame to go out and stump for candidates that she likes, Let's be kinder to her than fine. that. She is an extraordinary candidate who has really good ideas that people like and who was unapologetic about those ideas and won against an establishment person who she was never supposed to win against. She's young, she's a woman of color, yeah. and every attempt, every every coverage of her is an attempt to minimize that extraordinary thing that she did. Or the polar opposite, is my point. Or to elevate her to this, uh, you know, the leader of the party. And, and she's neither of those things. She She's a charismatic, young, very interesting uh, as you said, passionate candidate who won a primary. And she's going to win because no Republicans yes. don't... I don't think she even She's going to be in Congress. A, a opponent. Yeah, some, no, she does have a challenger. But okay. look, the, the, anyway. the point is, it, it's a little crazy that both sides of this coin are making her up to be this huge thing for this one safe district in Brooklyn, is kind of my point. But, but I think that's minimizing her. Okay, maybe it is, but she's not even in Congress yet. But she will be. She will be. And that's cool. Yes, and, and hopefully she's very effective. We don't know how effective she's going to be. She's, she's great in front of a microphone. She's had a few minor slip-ups here and there, which are normal, but those all get amplified mm-hmm. because, because of this big controversy. Of, she's a woman of color. and That's part of it. And she is, I mean, she's unapologetically uh, progressive and socialist in a way that's not like your grandpa's socialism, but like... You know, Bernie Sanders sort of, except better. Well, she's also not treated like Bernie Sanders about certain things, and that's what we're going to get to right now. Okay, so I don't know if you all know who Ben Shapiro is. <laughs> oh, little Benny. Uh, you want to give a little background on Ben Shapiro for me? Uh, he was a writer for Breitbart and said Breitbart became too Nazi-ish, so he left. <laughs> He's Jewish, right? Yes. Okay. And now he just spews about how liberals are so uh want to shut down free speech and, and he's a never trumper yeah he's a never trumper but he kind of supports all, Trump's all things, things anyway he's a 
horrible transphobic yes. asshole. Yeah, very homophobic, homophobic, very transphobic. He thinks that I am an abomination. And free markets are great um, and blah, blah, blah. Anyway. He, he's a conservative pundit is all he is. He's yeah, a, and since he's kind of young, he's and, and sort of the, the hipster-ish Barry Weiss types are like, you should really, he's a great guy and you should listen to him and why does everybody try to shun him and blah, blah, blah. And right. He's obnoxious. But he is, he's obnoxious and he's awful. And he's racist. And he's racist. Yes. Um, he says sure. some very, very, very racist things. Yes. They get glossed yes. over for some And he's reason. like a total, utter... I don't even know what the word for it is about Israel. Um, yeah, if, the, if you like, criticize Israel, then you're an anti-Semite. He's, right. from, he's from that club. Right. Which is right. asinine. Because you're Jewish. That's like if we criticize, like, Mugabe, then we're racist against black people or something. Right. Like, that, that's the same logic. It's right. ridiculous. It is ridiculous. And you're, I mean, you are Jewish. <laughs> yeah. And you think that Israel is problematic in its treatment of Palestine. The Likud party and Netanyahu <laughs> in particular, yes. Right. And the Palestinian people are people. Yeah, they absolutely and like, are, and they, they need a home state. Have a home state, absolutely. Okay. And there's lots of us Jews who think that way. By right. the way, and he then would you're you're. But the, but the only people they ask about that are people like Shapiro. So you get this idea that all American Jews are all in for Netanyahu in Israel, and that is not the fucking right. case at all. Not the fucking case at all. No. So, okay. So Ben Shapiro, this kind of like quote journalist pundit Twitter personality thinks very highly of himself and he, <laughs> yes, he recently offered this young woman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez $10,000 to debate him and she did not respond for a while because what the fuck what the fuck and then she did respond <clears throat> and she said the following just like catcalling, I don't owe a response to unsolicited requests from bad men with bad in- from men with bad intentions. Mm-hmm. And also like catcalling, for some reason they feel entitled to one, which is perfect. Spot on. So, this spawned an opinion piece from the Washington Post, uh, written by Helene Olin, and I loved it so much. I'm just going to read it uh, because I think it's perfect. Earlier this month, WNBA player Devereaux Peters penned an op-ed for The Post about how random men, aware of her success playing a sport for a living, routinely challenge her to one-on-one games of basketball. It's almost as though these men cannot accept that a woman can be more talented, successful, and publicly prominent than a man in a space they view as their own. Which brings us to never-Trump conservative commentator Ben Shapiro, who earlier this week challenged New York congressional candidate and overnight media sensation Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez to a debate. That she refused to debate Shapiro was not a surprise. It's how she did it that made news. And then the tweet about catcalling. Can I jump in for a second? Uh-huh. Didn't we put to bed the whole challenging women athletes as being equal with the whole Billie Jean King-Bobby Riggs match in the 70s? No. Like, aren't we done with that I wish. 40 years ago? I wish, right? <laughs> I mean, that movie, by the way, I love. I forget what it's called. But, um, oh, yeah, the movie we but saw. But that is a but, really, yeah. like, that's the whole game, right? Like, a, prof- a WNBA professional athlete is challenged on constantly by non-professional athlete, just dudes who play basketball to one-on-one games to prove that they are better than she is at the thing that she does professionally because they're men. Sorry about the cat chiming in, by the way. You'll, you'll live with it. He's just, he's just very loves everybody. Um, okay. Getting back to the article. 
A bit of hyperbole? Absolutely. I disagree, but whatever. But Ocasio-Cortez's tweet gets to the heart of women's experiences in both life and politics. Shapiro's challenge to her demonstrated how we as a society value, or more correctly, do not value, women's expertise, experience, and time. Let's review. Shapiro issued his challenge on Wednesday, saying he offered to pay $10,000 to Ocasio-Cortez's campaign, likely a campaign violation, or a charity, if she agreed to come on his show and debate him. Ocasio-Cortez initially ignored Shapiro, but many on Twitter began to follow up, asking why she wasn't responding. Finally, Ocasio-Cortez succumbed to the online pressure leading to the tweet. Let me be clear, Ocasio-Cortez did not need to address him at all. He is not her opponent in November. He's not even another politician. He's simply a public commentator, albeit a prominent one in conservative circles. Some have called him a troll. I say this to point out that Shapiro, in issuing his challenge, didn't simply interject himself into Ocasio-Cortez's orbit. He screamed for her attention. This isn't the first time he's waved his hands in her face. Last month, he posted a satirical, quote, interview with Ocasio-Cortez where reaction shots of Shapiro were edited into an interview the congressional candidate had done with someone else. Why would anyone expect Ocasio-Cortez to say yes? Shapiro is using her as a way to get publicity for one person, Ben Shapiro. His political positions and hers are diametrically opposed, and his listeners aren't exactly undecided voters. A practice debater, he wants to show up, less, show up the less seasoned Ocasio-Cortez. For Shapiro, she is a nasty version of cinema's manic pixie dream girl, the quirky female character who exists solely to push the male protagonist to take on life's challenges. In this case, by engaging him in a cheap stunt to enhance a brand. Shapiro's claim, Shapiro claims he's just looking for, quote, discussion and debate with the woman that Democratic National Committee Chairman Tom Perez called the future of the Democratic Party. Two things. First, Shapiro's not a politician. Moreover, funnily enough, Shapiro hasn't spent weeks challenging someone like Bernie Sanders to a debate nor did his team go to the trouble to cut together a fake interview with Sanders. It's almost as though this isn't about ideas, but about identity. This unequal attention is something women are all too familiar with. Women are judged harshly for ambition, while men are judged for not possessing it. Women are called, men are called promising, while women are deemed inexperienced. Men are presumed to be experts, whereas women need to prove their expertise repeatedly. Mistakes by women are amplified, while those of men are brushed over. Women are supposed to be cooperative, while men can showboat all they want and not fear judgment. And we value women's time less than those of men. Of course, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez should debate a conservative journalist. Surely she doesn't have anything better to do. <laughs> Catcallers are never trying to compliment their targets. They are rather attempting to remind them that the target's ability to go about their business in public is forever subject to the catcaller's challenge. What Shapiro did to Ocasio-Cortez is something women who attempt to engage in the public space deal with all too often. Just ask Nancy Pelosi. True, Ocasio-Cortez took advantage of her sudden fame after her surprise victory over Rep. Joseph Crowley in a New York Democratic primary, going on television news shows, giving interviews, and endorsing other candidates, even taking a widely covered tour with Bernie Sanders. And true, Ocasio-Cortez, a 28-year-old political rookie, has stumbled more than once. But as Nate Silver pointed out, these sorts of mistakes don't make her any less informed than the average member of Congress. Many have said much worse. Rep. Steve King of Iowa, for example, compared giving hormones to transgender members of the military to castration and claimed Muslims should not work at meatpacking plants because they want others eating to be sent to hell. So a bit of advice. It's August. 
Things are slowing down. Ocasio-Cortez should buckle down and do her policy homework so she can come back strong in September. As for Shapiro, if he wants to debate political candidates, he should run for office. He apparently believes he's qualified to do so. Let's see what he's got. Yeah, and of course he won't, because that's not where the money is. Right. But, um... But this is so true, and I want you to talk about the relation to this with the band for a minute, because this was a really interesting conversation that we were... Before I get to that, though, uh... Here's the thing, and, and and Ben Shapiro, I'm sure if he's saying up and down, it has nothing to do with their gender, nothing to do with their gender. But if this was Alexander Ocasio Cortez, uh-huh. and it was a young Hispanic man who was talking about socialism, Ben Shapiro would not do this in a million years. Nope. And you know, it, it. would be insulting. Why would he do? Well, that? he'd be scared to. Yeah. First of all, and it would be like he didn't do that to like Julian Castro or something, right? <laughs> no. Right. <laughs> But she's just a woman. What does she know? She's a lady. She's a young lady. She's just a lady. woman. And what she didn't she go know? to Harvard. Yeah. Like the, that some, some uh, conservative-ish lady on Twitter, one of the young hip conservative said something of like, yeah, I wouldn't, if I was a bartender, I wouldn't want to debate. Right. If I was a bartender them. from the Bronx, I wouldn't want to debate a Harvard graduate either. And it's like, <laughs> and then the comments on that were like. It's so funny how elitism works the opposite way. Oh, right, <laughs> like, right. They're always we don't know about anybody. That, right, like, oh, Harvard's suddenly a good place because Ben Shapiro went there and bartending oh, is bad, but God. we don't know what pickup trucks look like. Like, it's just um, And then I chimed in the like, probably most Harvard Law grads are like tax lawyers and stuff and have never debated anybody. Right, but he was like, a, you know, like on the debate team or whatever. Sure, and, yeah. He's a lawyer, yeah. and, you know, whatever. I don't know if he's a lawyer, is he? No, no. He just went I don't to know if he has. I don't, his, I don't know if he has his JD or not. But yeah. Um, look, for me, it comes down to this: we always have to be better at everything. Yes. Yeah. Always. That's a good lead. And now, do you want me to read the story? Or do you want to read it? Because it probably sound better coming from your voice. But. Probably. Um, but we always have to be better at everything, right? And that—that's not just as a woman. That's any minority group, and especially when you take into account being multiple minorities, right, intersectionalism. So a black woman is going to have to be better and more qualified and cheerful (laughs) and all kinds of things than a white dude. Yeah. Right? It's just the intersectionality of... Of privilege, we always have to remember, and it's it, this is a prime example of that. So, like, this, if Trump was running against a man mm-hmm. at that debate where he like was creepy and like crawling up on her behind her, like that would never have happened. Probably not. He would never have done that. I mean, Gore, Gore did something similar to GW, and it backfired. Um, but I no, I don't see Trump doing that to a man. You're no, right. No, no. no. But he felt fine doing it to a woman. Yes. To being, to basically like resembling a creep on the subway. Right. And get in her head that way. Get in her head that way, right? He would never have done that to a man. Yeah. Anyway, being a lady is exhausting and we're going to get into more of that. Well, this next story has a personal bent. It does. Um, I want you to explain it. In case you don't know, I'm in a band called Married to the Dead Man. I'm the only male in the band with three lovely ladies um we actually have an album that was coming out on august 26th which we're very excited about and uh, if you're interested you can 
as of probably September 1st, will be on iTunes and Spotify, and you can buy a CD if you want and all the things. It's the Interstitial and Ending Music is my band, if you're wondering. Uh, anyway, we, we're here based out of Colorado, based out of Denver, and a band who I know secondhand because of my drummer's boyfriend is friends with the person who penned this article was just recently coming through for a tour and toured through town. Through our city, Denver. Yes, through our city. And had a show. Now, the reason I find this story interesting is it's because being in a band with three women, there's a, there's always talk about everything from songwriting to appearance about how they have to be really, 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 they really pay more mind to everything in terms of being a rock musician in a band as women than I ever do. And it's easy for me to forget sometimes. And I just I just throw on a shirt and plug in and play and they can't really do that and everything from like every note they write there has to be this sort of thought put into it in order to be taken seriously as a musician yeah and that may and sound they're all incredibly talented yeah but and if if they had you know if they were viewed as society as men they would be ridiculously talented as yeah. women, they're just trying to be taken seriously. As, as a, a band. as a guy in the scene, how many mediocre white dudes in shorts just plug in a guitar and play and think they're in a band? It's and yeah. how much thought and and thoughtfulness and energy and practice the women that you play with do and yeah. take and how seriously they take it. How yeah. seriously they take it. Yeah. Is, so is it diverge? I mean, it really is. So this this was just released again by this person I know, kind of secondhand. Or through two or three degrees of separation, um, they just penned it a couple days ago, based on something that happened a couple weeks ago, right here in Denver. And Rachel's going to go ahead and and read it for you. Okay, this is um, on this blog. The name of the blog I love so much is um, "Is Your Boyfriend in the Band?" <laughs> because she's a female musician, and so as the girlfriend of a male musician. I get asked that question a lot, and I imagine if I was in the band, it would be really fucking annoying, because I'd be like, what do you mean? Right? It's the same thing as happens all the time. Like, I was talking to one of the lawyers I work for, who's a woman, and she was saying that um, they go to this, they went to this retreat, and uh, they got to bring their spouses, and everybody kept saying to her husband, um... Oh, like which firm do you work at? Or like, right? Or like, is your husband a lawyer at at XYZ firm? And he would get so mad and he would be like, I, I dude, I'm just like the house husband. She's the lawyer, right? And so I, I imagine that being a woman, a female musician must be really frustrating. And I love that that's the name of her blog. Anyway, this, this post is entitled, To the Guy Who Asked Me to, see, to Ask to See My Boobs in Exchange for a Free T-Shirt. An open letter to the guy who said he'd give me a free t-shirt if I showed him my boobs at my show in Denver, Colorado on Sunday, July 22nd. Also an open letter to those who ask, why would you even let that bother you? Hmm. One, I don't let just anything bother me. I, like most women, get verbally harassed every day by individual, people, society, and the media. It's part of being a woman. It's just the truth. So let's not get all up in arms about me being on my period or overly emotional or, dare I say it, hysterical. 
And for the record, I was on my period when I played this show, in case you wanted to know. I can bleed while I shred, thank you very much. See, I get to choose. I choose what bounces off my armor and what gets under my skin. I choose what I let bother me. It bothers me because I traveled 1,168.7 miles to play at Bar Bar, a wonderfully divey institution built in the 1940s before all the big modern buildings tried to swallow it up. It bothers me because I found this place fascinating, and I felt instantly like I was adding to that rich, weird lore just by being there, a girl with her guitar and her go-go boots and her band. It bothers me because I was the only female on the bill. It bothers me because there were only four women in the audience. One trans woman and one appeared to be high on drugs. She kept nodding off. It bothers me that I was worried for both women even before I played. It bothers me because when I walked in, I had already decided I would not feel intimidated. Not about my musicianship or my style or performance. Not about being the only female on the bill, nor about playing a very different style of music than the other bands, i.e. not aggressive metal. It bothers me that I already resigned myself to the fact that, simply by playing my songs, which are mostly written about women from a female perspective, I might be publicly or privately ridiculed. I'm literally light years beyond caring about all that, but sometimes I'm still caught off guard. It bothers me because my band's logo was projected proudly on the wall like a welcome sign, and my heart felt optimistic and happy on our last night of this wild, tiring tour. It bothers me because I already felt victorious, hitting the last lap of a race, like I had come here to do something, and now all I had to do was do what I was born to do. It bothers me because I embarked on this tour without my regular drummer, without a dedicated tour vehicle, without a dedicated place to stay, and very little money. It bothers me because I had to scramble to even make the tour work at all, a somewhat doomed trip that I'd booked four months prior and had a hung a week of my life on. Things beyond my control had happened that jeopardized every aspect of my ability to be here at this dingy little bar, to be able to share my humble story through song and strum. It bothers me because my band had to rely on the kindness of friends, acquaintances, family, and straight-up strangers to make every single show of the tour happen. I'm not joking. Not that it bothers me that we had to rely on these good and kind people, but it bothers me that these people were so incredibly good and so incredibly kind. And it sucks to realize that, by contrast, not all people are so good and kind. It bothers me that we had an exciting yet extremely grueling week. The shows had many high points, but it was also a week of shitstorms. There was some low attendance, constant 90-plus degree weather, an emotional meltdown on my part, the daily stress of being in a new city without a place to stash our suitcases, merch, and our limited gear. We'd only practiced with our temp drummer twice ever before embarking on this trip, and, added, and it added to some mental drama, although he did an amazing job and killed it. Then there was the waiting. Because we did not have a home base, we would sit in one place, like a brewery, for hours with every bit of our stuff until our load-in time, usually 7 p.m., yep. then take an Uber to the gig, scramble for the missing gear we needed. Every night we would stay up into the wee hours to get paid, then try to get to some sleep before having to find a new place to exist for several more hours before uh, our next show. Touring memories. Yeah. It bothers me because much of the needed gear we did use on the road was borrowed. And so many had been so kind to us before that night, and even during that night in Denver. It bothers me that my memory of this kindness is now somehow tarnished by one bad apple. It bothers me because as it suddenly started to downpour, hard and fast, you came up to me and you said, I should talk with your drummer about borrowing gear. Your drummer was kind enough to offer his drum kit. It bothers me because we braved the rain to retrieve all the pieces in time for us to open the show, and he set the entire drum kit up for our stand-in drummer. Another guitarist allowed me to use his amp. 
It bothers me that I had this overwhelming sense that people are good and kind and that I belonged here, that somehow I was one of you. It bothers me because I felt like we were all watching out for each other, and I thought about how silly I had been to ever have felt intimidated by playing a dude-centric metal show. It bothers me because I felt like we were all in this together. It bothers me because the only female in my previous punk band, and often the only female on the bill for many shows, I'd shared the stage with so many dudes, and great dudes at that. Those dudes include Jello Biafra, Flag, Weirdos, Adolescents, Seven Seconds, Agent Orange, and so many more, many of whom I admired so very much as a young girl learning guitar at 13. None of these dudes ever made me feel like I was less than for being the only woman on stage. I was in my early 20s then, and I, never treated, I was never treated like anything less than a guitarist and a fellow musician. Of course there were some shitty exceptions, but like I said before, I'd choose what I allow to bother me. It bothers me because you stood right up front, maybe five feet from me, while I played and sweated and sang, and you smiled the whole time I played and swished your long hair. It bothers me because I assumed that you had enjoyed yourself and I concluded that you at least liked and or respected my music and or respected me as a human being trying to exist and make art in this world. It bothers me that the band right before us had songs like Right Wing Death Squad and talked about being on the side of America, Ugh. yet no one said anything about what this really meant, even though the band spelled out exactly what this really meant. It bothers me that the girl on drugs who bought my t-shirt immediately forgot who I was bothered me that she said she was traveling alone and would not commit to getting a ride with us later. bothers me that at the merch table after my set, you said you liked my band and were full of congratulatory words. It bothers me that this made me proud. Again, it bothers me that I thought I was in. Not just a girl with a guitar and her go-go boots, but a musician. It bothers me that I sold merch to your friends and the people in your scene, all of whom were super nice. None of them made me feel less than. So why did you have to ruin it all? bothers me that you said I reminded you of Viagra. bothers me that I gave you the benefit of the doubt because I assumed you were not used to talking to girls and you also seemed socially awkward. bothers me that you apologized for, quote, what I might think that meant, hmm. saying you meant, quote, the retro Viagra commercial with the 1950s people in it. bothers me that I nodded, smiled, and said, well, I am wearing a 1960s swimsuit bothers me that you said something about how you salute that, but, quote, not that kind of salute. bothers me that I laughed at this bad joke as you continued to talk about your dick. bothers me that I basically blocked this part out of my mind, choosing not to admit that my internal alarm bells were ringing. Every woman knows the feeling of putting these alarm bells on silent, like the buzzing of a phone call during a movie. Why should I disturb the whole audience with what was probably just a butt dial? bothers me that I assumed you, again, had no idea how to talk to women, let alone women who play guitar in a swimsuit, albeit a very conservative one-piece that has often been complimented by well-meaning millennials as a cute dress. It bothers me that I said, it's okay, we are friends, aren't we? bothers me that I was trying to be agreeable, which is women's natural defense, so ingrained in my way of being that it felt involuntary. It bothers me that I now blame myself for smiling when I felt like turning away to talk to someone else, someone who deserved my attention. It bothers me that I blame myself at all. It bothers me that what I choose to wear, or what any woman chooses to wear, matters in discussions such as this. It bothers me that I immediately put on more clothes, feeling a creeping sense of shame about my body. It bothers me that literally no matter what I was wearing, this probably could and would have happened. Ask your sister, mother, cousin, and aunt. Nothing stops any man from making creepy comments, even sweatpants. It bothers me that I'm used to making 
used to men making comments about my body and that I'm generally good with distancing myself from their BS and or assaulting any sense of who I am and how I represent myself. <clears throat> it bothers me that so many people will say, what were you wearing when a guy said something creepy to me or one of my friends? It bothers me that when you played, the crowd erupted into a seething mass of excitement and raw power. It bothers me that your band was really good. It bothers me that I still think your band is really fucking good. Bothers me that I enjoyed myself and stood up front to show my support and even headbanged, although it made my neck sore, especially after a week on the road. It bothers me that after you played, I bought your drummer, the, I bought my drummer, the one back home, one of your t-shirts. He's an avid metalhead and going through some tough times. It bothers me that you offered it to me for free because of those hard times, and it bothers me that I said, no, I want to support your band. Which is the thing you should always say when a DIY band ever offers you free merch if you're a decent person, by the mm -hmm. way. It bothers me, like I said, we had very little money to work with and had flown to Colorado via family airline points. It bothers me that I told you I respected your music and thought you shredded. It bothers me that I meant it. it. Bothers me that as I was loading my gear into the car to leave, I stopped by most of your band smoking outside and congratulated you on a great show. It bothers me that I said I'm so glad I got a shirt and was able to play with you. It bothers me that in front of your bandmates, you seem to have a different tone. Bothers me that you said, you know, you can get another t-shirt if you do something for me. Bothers me that I dumbly asked what, assuming you meant I could sign my CD for you or help you set up a show in California. Bothers me that you said you can show me your boobs in front of everyone very loudly. Bothers me that your bandmates laughed, laughed at me. You know, me, the only girl on the bill that traveled over a thousand miles to be here to play at this crummy bar. It bothers me that I was completely speechless at a time when I should have stood up for myself and my merits. It bothers me that I said, ha, right, as I walked away, my mind turning to complete and utter rage, even though my face remained plastered in a fake smile. It bothered me because I did not feel it was funny. It bothered me because I did not feel like smiling. It bothers me because you had the nerve to call after me. You think I'm joking, but I'm not. Then more laughing from your bandmates and whomever else was standing outside. I blocked this part out too. Bothers me that I allowed your words to make me feel like a complete idiot, piece of meat, worthless accessory to your scene all at once. Bothers me because my first reaction was to leave quickly without saying anything else to anyone. It bothers me that my first feeling was shame, total whole body shame. Shame for trying to do something outside my comfort zone. Shame for showing up as my full authentic self. Shame for not saying something smart back. Shame for sharing my art with the world. Shame for just being a woman. Shame for having boobs. Shame for what I was wearing. Shame for thinking you or anyone else there would be my friend. Shame for thinking I belonged here in this dingy club and in this problematic scene or anywhere else men so obviously rule. It bothers me that we were in the car leaving in the rain when I even told the guys what happened. It bothers me that when I brought it up, I downplayed it like, what a jerk, huh, right? It happens. Bothered me, bothers me that my bass player slash husband and my temporary drummer, now my very good and very real friend, were aghast and upset and did not find it funny. Bothers me that I did not feel safe or worthy enough to even tell them what you had said while still at the venue. Bothers me that my first reaction when stuff like this happens is to disconnect the bomb for the benefit of everyone involved and to retreat into myself, to brush it off, to put it on silent. Bothers me that the next day a friend we were staying with replied to the story with, well, maybe that's what all the other metal girlfriends do. 
bothers me because I'm not someone's girlfriend. I've never ever in my life been simply someone's girlfriend, nor has any other woman. It bothers me because his young daughter, who'd begged me to record her singing earlier, was sitting right there, watching and listening to this conversation. It bothers me that this is the thing people want to know about my tour. Not the wins, but the shit. This is due to the fact that my well-meaning husband, very uncharacteristically, I might add, left a vague and threatening post on Facebook. It bothers me that the next week, on vacation with my husband's family in Colorado, I woke up periodically in the night with angry and confused thoughts. This had happened days ago, and it was nothing. He was a jerk, so what? Why was I letting this small thing bother me so much? Then there was the morning the full feeling came. It wasn't anger. It was bigger than that. It was like I'd been pressing down on this feeling, a beach ball held underwater. Well, it had to come up. The revelation splashed in my face. It bothers me because this story is so fucking small. It bothers me that women have been through worse, so much worse, that I have been through so, so, so much worse. I've had so much worse happen at shows, from boyfriends, from teachers, employers. It's exactly why it bothers me, why I choose to allow it to bother me. It bothers me for the 13-year-old girl inside of me, the girl who reached for a guitar and saved her own life, who found her voice and sense of agency on stage and at backyard shows. It bothers me for the girl who comes after, and the band who plays that same venue after me, which just so happens to be an all-female band I had the pleasure to play with in Tacoma, Washington last spring. When I saw their poster on the wall of Barbar Bar that night, their young, smiling faces so full of energy and passion, advertised at the next show, my first thought was concern, then anger, then action. And that's why I choose this bothersome feeling. Bleary in the guest bathroom of my mother and father-in-law's house in the hills of Colorado, unconnected to Wi-Fi, I had my comeback. A few days late and probably overkill, but I had it. Stumbling to the bathroom for my first pee of the day, my iPhone in hand, I turned on the voice memo on my phone and finally spoke into it spoke back to you, my heart pounding so loud like a double bass kick. It bothers me because. Well, it's not too late, and it's not overkill, and we hear you. Yeah. So this band is called, let's just, let's just do this. Uh, I, this was really fucking upsetting for both of us. Um, and well, we're just getting started with, uh, what we're going to do about it. So this band is called genocide method. That's her band. Nope. That's, that's the, the band okay. of the motherfucker who said that shit and the people who laughed. Um, so I did some Googling. They are from my fucking hometown of Fort Collins, Colorado. Okay. So I'm very connected to the local music scene in Fort Collins. I lived there for a long time. And I put out some feelers, and I would like to know who they are and who this person is. And I posted on Facebook that I think we should have some kind of um, local scene community reaction to this. Reckoning, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and what I mean by that is I don't want a bunch of my like big metalhead friends to go kick the shit out of this guy. I would like some men in the scene to share this story with him and with the band and have a dialogue about how women in the music scene are treated and the privilege and access and gatekeeperdom of men in the scene and how that affects women and how it's already so fucking hard to be a woman in the music scene and how completely unacceptable this behavior is. And then I'd like him to publicly apologize and be thoughtful about it. And barring that, I'm just going to blacklist and boycott the shit out of him. Yeah. 
Call the venues where he's booked. Don't go to any show. Don't let any band you know book a show with these people. I mean, there needs to be a reckoning. This is our community. These are our people. And this happened to this woman who flew 1,678.1 miles to our city to play a show. And this is how she gets treated in my city and my scene. That is not acceptable. Nope. Absolutely not acceptable. It's not okay. Yeah. So, you know, this is something we're going to do something about. We, 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 we are not just going to let it slide. No. No, no, no. <laughs> no, that's not how women get treated in a community that I feel a part of or that you feel a part of. No. And so. And we, we know a lot of people in Fort Collins. We play shows in Fort Collins. That's where I'm from. Um, yeah. Lots so. of my friends are musicians in Fort Collins and they're all great, lovely human beings who would be aghast that this happened. And some of my friends are not musicians, but are big into the metalhead scene um, up there and would also be aghast that this happened. So yeah. I'm doing what I can to reach out and find out. I mean, it's a, it's a incestuous community up there, right? Like everybody knows everybody. Mm-hmm. Everybody's fucked everybody. everybody <laughs> it's just the way it is. Um, so somebody knows who these people are and somebody will be able to hopefully reach them. Um, and, and I specifically want men to do this. Right. This person obviously is not going to be reached by me going to him and yelling about feminism. He or, needs or me. A ma- no, he needs a man in his community, in his scene, to go and say, you fucking did this. This is not okay. Well, we happen to know some men in that scene, so we, do. we are going to reach out to them. Yes, I have done I that. I think they'll be responsive. I and- think they will. Okay, uh, we only have a few minutes left. Uh, that kind of dominated our second half. We didn't get to Trump Russia stuff, but don't worry, that'll be there next week. It'll be there next week. Yeah, <laughs> we had and, other things to talk about this week. Um, any closing thoughts? Uh, more thoughts in general about that story because she touched on a lot of themes way beyond that story right. and the music. This isn't scene. about. This isn't about. I mean, it, it is for me personal. Um, I take that personally that that happened to her, mm-hmm. but this is also broader than that, right? This is about women existing in public space. And it goes back to the catcalling comment that the candidate made about men, let me think about that, about women existing in public space always at, always with alarm because you only exist in that space. It's made really clear at the behest of the men around you. You're only allowed to exist at the behest of the men around you. And it's made clear in all kinds of ways as a woman all over the place all the time, whether it's being catcalled or groped or um, whatever small indignities that aren't small that you experience. And then there's the big ones, you know, there's assault and there's rape and there's murder and there's all of those. But sometimes the small indignities, I think, get drowned out. I think what I love so much about her letter is that all of us have experienced something like that and all of us have experienced much worse. But there's something about the indignity of that that matters. And we have to remember that, we, that it matters and it's not okay. And it, it's not acceptable. And it's not just part of life. And it's not something that, you know, I mean, to exist as a woman is to 
decide what bothers you to her point because mm-hmm. you can't just walk around all day thinking you, you can't no you, you lo- can't you'd lose your mind you, can't. you, you have to pick your battles you anyway on that note uh that's going to be all for us this week at irreverent duo on twitter reverent testimony at gmail.com and what did you get the name of her band so we can plug them i actually don't we're going to try to get no. her on the podcast we are. i'm going to try i do know her um uh as I said, uh, through one, deg- one, two degrees of separation. Okay, I will find out and we'll put it in the notes on the mm-hmm. podcast. But the name of the motherfucker uh, band is Genocide Method from Fort Collins, Colorado. Okay. Um, so if you guys want to, like, you know, do some digging or start some shit, um, we encourage <clears throat> that. We encourage that. Okay. So stay active, stay tuned, stay involved. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.